0: Judges chapter 7, we'll begin with verse 15, and uh, we're just going to cover a few verses tonight, uh, verses 15 through chapter 8, verse 21. Um, that's uh, half the Old Testament, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, let's begin with verse 15, and it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, they bowed and worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And he divided 300 men into three companies, put trumpets, pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. In other words, follow me, what I do. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp, at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers and were that were in their hands, and when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they heard the torches or held the torches in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And he stood in his place around the camp, and all his army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittim, Shittil, towards uh, Zerah as far as the edge of Abel-Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and Manasseh, Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian and take the waters before them as far as beth and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they took the waters as far as beth and the Jordan and they captured the two leaders of Midian Oreb or Oreb and uh, Zeb that's not the barbecue place and they killed Oreb at the rock of uh, Oreb and they killed Zeb at the uh, winepress of Zeb while they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of both of them to, or for, to Gideon from across the Jordan then the Midian uh, then the men of uh, Ephraim said to him what is the thing that you have done to us? not calling us when you went to fight against Midian. And they contended with him vigorously. But he said to them, What I, what have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaming of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abihazar? Uh, and God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zab in your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger towards him subsided when he said that And then they continued to pursue And then we're going to Look at those other verses As we go through uh, the message So let's go to the Lord in prayer once again Father we just pray For your enlightenment We pray for your uh, conviction For your uh, encouragement For your uh, motivation For your direction Lord In this service we pray for your anointing upon the entire service and this message and i pray that uh, you will deal with our hearts and our lives and open our eyes to truths that will uh touch us in a very special way and challenge us the way that you would have them to challenge us and this cannot be done uh, by me or anyone else but it can be done by your spirit and you using us as vessels and i just pray that you'll use me as that vessel this evening and and lord i just pray that as you do so that our eyes and our hearts will be in tune with you and your directives for our lives and we will submit in every way that we will honor you and glorify you by being obedient to you in whatever way you would have us to to go and to do and to and the decision that you'd have us to make this evening for i pray this in jesus name amen you know when I, I, used to go and visit my cousin who played football uh, over in Alabama, and he played for Albertville, Alabama, and uh, he was quarterback there. And so when when I'd go over there, I was five years younger. I wanted to get out. I wanted to go fishing. Wanted to do this and wanted to do that. But during football season, I want to tell you he was true to football. He had the old real to real football games, and whoever they were playing he would play it through over and over and over again. Now, why did they do that? Well, the coach did that, first of all, with all the players. And then he would let Bruce take this home and run through it, not only looking at what he did, but what the team that they were playing, what they would be doing. And football teams, that's playing another game, coaches will spend hours like Georgia and and, and Notre Dame, the game that's coming up, the big game, studying films of their opponents. And they will bring the football players in to look at these. And what will they do? They'll look for certain habits and patterns of the other team. They'll look, of course, at them and what they need to strengthen, but certain habits and patterns of the other team. You know, the kind of things they are likely to do in certain circumstances and they'll go over this and they'll they'll look at this until they are well acquainted with this so that they won't make mistakes in there and they'll also guard against the uh, the opponent and be able to overtake the opponent hopefully well the Apostle Paul had something like that in mind when he wrote 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 he said, I am doing this in order that no advantage be taken us by Satan. He is our opponent. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. He's got a game plan, in other words. And he uses it. He's used it since the beginning. It hasn't changed. It may come in, di- it may come in different forms and shapes, but it's the same. And so... Uh, This is what Paul is saying. He says, you know, I am doing this for this reason. There is a reason I'm telling you this and and informing you of this. Satan has schemes and he has devices in dealing with the children of God. He wants to keep people from the cross, from forgiveness, confused, uh, at odds with God as much as he can in their darkened state but he also wants we are children of God he doesn't give up on us he wants the church to look bad he wants the church to fail he wants the church to not carry out the great commission that Christ has left the church to do and so through the centuries he's developed some uh, techniques and some strategies which have proven extremely successful i mean you look at the 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 damage that he's done to the church throughout history and so he loves to fall back upon those classic methods as he seeks to uh, uh, to to blunt out the effectiveness of god's children and we become aware of uh, satan's devices by studying the word of god that's the, the, the game plan, isn't it? That's the film. And so uh, we need to carefully analyze what he has done in the past and how he's worked because he works the same way. You know, it would be foolish for a team to face its opponents, say the Super Bowl, as important as that is, with no knowledge of its past opponents and their nuances, what they do, in the same way, it would be foolish and dangerous for Christians to live in ignorance of Satan's schemes, his game plan. But we do, don't we? I mean, how many people, how many of us really study the Word of God and, and, and see how Satan is working and what God is revealing to us and how we should stand firm and how we should be victorious? This is one of the values of studying scripture and studying the way Satan attacked certain things or certain ones at certain points just like with Gideon we can look at this and we can see how he attacked Gideon uh, through this victory that Gideon had so we do not learn about Satan's strategy from the perspective of Gideon's failure necessarily here What we do is we learn from Gideon's success in how he overcame satanic attacks. There are three parts to the battle. You see there's the initial victory that Gideon had that we're going to be looking at, followed by two counterattacks by Satan. And uh, at the final dress rehearsal, this is, to illustrate this at the final dress rehearsal for Queen Elizabeth's coronation in 1953 everyone was very tense and you would be too this is royalty and for many of the people involved the next day would be the most important day of their lives I mean this was big time this was big stuff and it still is they worked through the ceremony at West minister abbey and uh the orchestra you know it worked hard and it had just finished the archbishop dressed in all his robes stood at the altar all the officers uh you know uh of state were at attention and guess what there was a spine tingling fanfare of trumpets to signal uh the queen's imminent entrance and guess what happened just at that moment when those trumpets sounded four women pushing carpet sweepers walked in proceeding to sweep up the feathers or dust which had collected around the throne or on the gold carpet I mean they said the whole abbey rocked with laughter at the timing they weren't supposed to come in. They didn't get notice. I guess. I don't know what happened. Obviously, those servant girls had a job to do, and it was of importance to them. But they hardly deserved, though, the fanfare that they got that was deserved for the queen. Well, you look at this victory. What has happened here? He didn't want the men the warriors to get the fanfare he didn't want them to get high and mighty and think look at what we've done he said he reduced the army down to 300 for what so that they would know who got the honor who got the victory and that's exactly what is happened or has happened here in chapter 7, God was trying to teach his people in Judges 7 this concept. He had taken away 32,000 men and reduced it to a little group of 300. He was calling those 300 to do battle against 135,000 Midianites. He had taken Gideon and changed him so that he would lead them and be their leader. But none could really believe that it was Gideon or Gideon's 300 men that were responsible for the victory. There was no way. And on top of that, we're going to look at the warfare that they had. The weapons that they had. They were God's carpet sweepers. But the glory belonged to God and God alone. We can grow... A great church if we grow it glorifying God if that's our if, if that's our uh, uh, purpose if that's our vision if that is really why we're here if it's not all about individuals but it's all about God and his calling and his ministry then however big we grow It will become a great church in God's eyes because we're glorifying God. Look at the plan of attack in verses 15 through 18. Earlier in the evening God had told Gideon to take his servant and go down into the camp of the Midianites. And there Gideon heard the information that built his confidence in God. God led him to the right camp, the right tent, the right people. Gave the The one that was sleeping the right dream and Gideon heard this and he says arise he went back to his men arise for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands the Lord has given it I know for certain the Lord has given it now Gideon prepared for the attack and he divided this was his plan he divided the groups of 300 into a hundred each And then they passed out the equipment. You get the shields, you get the swords, you get the spears. None of that. Look at that. They were faithful, fearless, fervent people serving the Lord. But no matter how fearless they were, when the equipment was passed out, you would have really began to question. I mean, you remember earlier where he said, okay, the first group, he says, those that are, want to go home and, and you don't have your heart into it, go home. And there was a for a reason, because you discourage others with your negativism. Well, uh, a lot of them went home, didn't they? Majority of them. Well, I tell you what, these 300 that stayed around the last group. When he started passing out the equipment, I think I might have said, Hey, could I be in that first group and go home? You know, I mean, look at it. A horn, 450 to 1. That's the odds. Man, that's good betting odds for a betting person, isn't it, on a ball game? A horn, a torch, a jar. But no shields, no arrows, no swords. Then get in and explain how the things were to be used. And I'm not sure after he explained how they were to be used, he felt they felt any better about it at that time. He said, man, a horn to blow, a jar to shatter, a torch to shine, they'll see us. And then on top of that, we holler. They'll know exactly where we are. That was it. Before Gideon had said, whoever is afraid and trembling, let them depart. Man, I tell you, they probably thought, I I, I wished I'd gone with that group. So however those men knew what they were, the mission they were going for. And that mission was to serve the Lord and obey him. And so in turn, they had to continue to trust God. They knew that he was the one behind Gideon's plan. I mean, it was not Gideon's responsibility to understand how God was going to keep his word or his men's responsibility to understand how God was going to keep his word and accomplish his work. It was their responsibility to obey him and do what he commanded. And the same thing today. You know, a lot of times we walk by sight. Just think about it. We are people who walk by sight a lot. I know. I look at the reactions and actions that I have with certain things that maybe challenge me and stretch me. I would like to say, man, I'm spiritual and I'm super spiritual and and I, I make all the right decisions, but that is not necessarily true. And I think that's probably not necessarily true with most of us. But you know, I have to learn this same principle that they were having to learn. It's not my responsibility to understand how God is going to keep his word and accomplish his work. It is my responsibility to obey and to do what he commands me to do. I don't understand everything. I don't know everything. We have what, as someone pointed out this morning we have what God intended for us to have in the Word of God but we that doesn't mean that we necessarily understand everything does it nor does it mean that we know everything now the plan in operation look in verses 19 through 22 Gideon put God's plan into operation he he waited until the middle watch had just been posted now why was that well there's for different reasons. You know, first watch is from uh, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Middle watch is from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Morning watch is from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And so, what was about 10.30 p.m.? Well, that was when some of the men had been in sleep for a few hours, one, day. And they were in a deep sleep. And the men who had just been relieved from guard... Uh, you know, they had come out of a deep sleep and these men were going into a sleep. And so, uh, you know, it was a unique time to catch them. But why were they doing that at that time? Because God knew when the best time was. And suddenly there was a huge noise. Now, get this here it was, a huge noise all around them the ram's horns. Now, this is shofar. This is not the trumpet, you know, Uh, it's not a bugle. This is a shofar, and so, and really a shofar was for what? It was for a leader in a group of army. Now, if you hear a bunch of them, what does that bring to your mind? You say, okay, if you heard one, you'd know that the army was attacking. If you heard a bunch of, of them, Could that mean that a bunch of armies had joined together there was more men there was uh, you know a huge army here and so you hear all these round horns signaling an enemy attack then the clay pitchers smashed on the ground which popping everywhere and uh, sounding like armies clashing into one another and then the Midianites looked up and they were surrounded on on all sides, the three sides, by lights and torches. So as you're rubbing your eyes and you're coming awake and and some of them just coming out of a deep sleep and they see all of this, what do you think that they felt? Finally, a a great shout shattered, uh, the silence has soared for the Lord and for Gideon. I mean, this was throughout. And it echoed in on the camp. It was surrounded. And to the half-asleep men, everything that moved became an enemy. You've got to remember, this was dark one. And everything that moved, which meant moving in their camp, they stood around just standing, waiting on God's to, uh, to work it all out and so uh, these they saw shadows and and different people running around and th- this light just you know coming in on them and they were still rubbing their eyes and they didn't know what was happening they thought the enemy was attacking and people running around in chaos and they were killing each other confusion and then the panicked Midianites began to not only slaughter one another but uh, they began to pull themselves together in fright and fear and began to run for their lives. They gained enough sense to flee. And they headed for home as fast as they could. And they, they uh, streamed east down the valley towards the uh, Jordan River so that they could cross and head into the dirt, a desert. And they, uh, as they fled, Gideon recruited uh, some help from the people. From some of his men and uh, because the Midianites were headed straight for uh, the territory of Ephraim he sent messengers to Ephraim to recruit a force to stop the enemy uh, when they tried to cross little rivers before Jordan and Ephraim did just that and more they captured two of the major leaders there and they killed them now I I don't think that there is a better commentary on the victory of Gideon and his men than Paul's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. It is utterly absurd to believe that 300 men equipped with torches, jars, and horns could do anything against 135,000 Midianites, warriors. But they did. Why? Because God was with them. It is utterly impossible. And utterly ridiculous to think the church can make an impact on a world that has its own agenda, moving its own way, with no concern at all for the kingdom. Unless God is in it. You see, years later in in, uh, Judah's history, King Asa, was confronted also with an army of over a million ethiopians led by 300 chariots now he could fight them with 580 thousand foot soldiers but the odds were obviously uh overwhelming and asa knew this and so he prayed one of the great prayers of scripture from second chronicles 14 11 lord There is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we support ourselves on you. And in your name we have come against a multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Guess what? God answered that prayer. He did. With a resounding victory over the Ethiopian. It also provided us with a great pattern for our prayer life. God, we are nothing against this world. We cannot overtake Satan. We cannot overcome his schemes. We cannot overcome his temptations. We cannot overcome the battle that is there. We need you, oh God. We're helpless without you. I can't live my Christian life without God's help, without God's grace. And every day, we need to wake up and say, God, this is a day that you have made. I want to rejoice and be glad because I want to keep my eyes on you. I cannot experience it the way that I need to experience it. See the things the way that you want me to see them. And the people, the way that you want me to see them, without you and your grace. Nor can I overcome the temptations, the problems, the difficulties, the warfare that is going on without you. Oh, God, help me. Here are, what about the New Testament? Eleven men. I know one's you know, uh, uh, dropped out. He, he never was one of the, truly one of the 12, but 11 men and a few women. And one of the most intriguing interviews of history took place with John and Peter in the New Testament. In Acts 14, 13, uh, we see that uh, they're brought before the Jewish council and asked, by what name or by what power have you done this? And we read that Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel. And what happened? Having heard God's word through Peter, the whole council was left astonished. Bumfuss. And they said, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus when they sent the disciples out of the room they began to confer with one another and in verse 16 this is what they said what shall we do with these men for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem and we cannot deny people say that about us? Our life is truly different. I know they don't always about mine. But they can. Now, do you see the problem? You can deal with men who are your equals, is what they're saying here. But how do you fight against weak, ignorant men who are filled with Confidence because they have been with Jesus and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. Or how can you handle 450 to 1 odds? Or like with David, a teenager, and Goliath. How can you handle this giant with five stones? Perhaps it is. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, that Paul had this in mind when he wrote these verses. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have the treasure in clay pots that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Maybe you pick that up from... You know, Gideon with the clay pots and all that, and the light. There's a striking parallel between Acts and and Judges 8. As God is is blessing the church and thousands of people are coming to know the the Savior, the Jewish leaders are in total confusion, if you will. Satan counterattacks through them. He uses them. He attacks from exactly the same direction, the same direction as he does against Gideon. And he continues to use the same tactics that he did there. Well, the first attack, if you will, is the attack of disunity. Look in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Then the man of Ephraim said to him, What is this thing you have done to us, not calling us when you went to fight against Midian? At this time in history, Ephraim was the largest and most important of the tribes. They would have been the first to tell you how important they were. (laughs) After all, the tabernacle was located in their territory at Shiloh. And they claimed to... Uh, the great Joshua to be an Ephraimite. But they came to Gideon with a festering complaint, if you will. Why did you not call us to fight Midian? Why were we not included? On the surface, that was a very valid question. I mean, hey, if you're going to fight the enemy, why not involve us? But Gideon had not called them and judging their attitude there's probably good reason for him not calling them god said he wanted the glory didn't he ephraim had made no effort to attack midian on its own although they claimed to be strong and the foremost and and the leader of all they probably heard of gideon's effort to raise an army i'm sure none of them volunteered to go though their complaint was almost entirely motivated by what personal jealousy it seems maybe injured pride Gideon had won an astonishing victory and one from which Ephraim would greatly profit from it all of Israel but there was no joy at what God had done through Gideon. No enthusiasm for the, uh, the wonderful victory God had given his people. How many times have you been serving in a church? Maybe not here, somewhere else. Maybe here. And there's been great victory. Maybe something that you've been involved in. And then all of a sudden, there's a naysayer that come up, and they find something to complain about. Why can't you just enjoy what God has done? The victories that, that he has brought. But this happens, unfortunately, and, and this happened with Ephraim. They didn't, you know, they didn't talk about what God had done. They talked about, why didn't you involve up? In other words, we, we could have really taken care of them, probably. It's sadly true that in a time of victory, the greatest danger often comes from within. Gideon, you've got to remember, was still in pursuit of the enemy. And here they are detaining him from that pursuit with their own little selfish problems their pride it would have been very easy for Gideon to be absolutely furious with those people after all it's easy to sit back and criticize after a battle been fought and you haven't been in it to see all of this it's kind of like watching a ball game you know and and we all are guilty of this we haven't been out there playing in the ball game have we but boy we can Tell them what they did wrong. You know, you're smiling out there. You know what I'm talking about. And so, uh, it's easy to sit back. It's those who point out all the mistakes of others. But yet, they're not doing it. There's nothing that Satan loves more than to see Christians fighting with one another. Why? Because if you're always trying to put out fires within then you're not really able to keep focused on the mission without. And all your effort is there instead of moving forward in the Lord's work. If we're fighting ourselves, we're not pursuing the enemy. Satan can get us so confused that we believe fellow believers are our enemies. How many times has that happened? I mean, we really, we act that way, don't we, sometimes? And this is what was happening with Gideon. He does not care, uh, you know, why we're divided, Satan does. He just causes that disunity if he can. It may be division because of pride or, or hurt feelings or over our differences, whether they're economical or social or educational. It may be our personalities, which it is so often, or differences in minor, minor doctrines, not major, minor. But Satan loves to see us divided. You know, I can't help but think of a pastor that I served with in two different churches. He was a very charismatic pastor, and he was good, and he was a good Bible teacher. Loved to hear him preach. And he was the next upcoming young one that Dr. Vines and them were promoting. I remember him going to a church over in Conyers in a growing area at a growing time. And the church was growing and good things happening. And these were good people. But they were being discipled under this Bible teacher, which was a good Bible teacher. And he wouldn't have uh, promoted that. But they became self-righteous. And so they began to start putting out comments within the church, well, the pastor's not feeding us, the pastor's not doing this. And I know that he was because he was a great Bible teacher. But they thought that they were more spiritual because they were going through these principles that this teacher had um, uh, taught, and they were basic principles. And so they, you know, they met every year and going through this and... And uh, you know there were thousands that would go and hear this teacher, and I went to hear him. He was a good teacher, and uh, and he would come through Atlanta. But I tell you what, he'd go to a lot of the major cities. One thing he emphasized was don't say that these are my principles, and don't act this way. Well, they began to act that way and think that they were more spiritual, and it caused so much problems that. He uh, eventually left the church. This is what happens, and Satan will bring this about so often. He he will bring it from within, and this is what happened with with Gideon. It was from within. One of the the people or the tribes that, that thought that they were more powerful and better than everybody else, evidently. Now the response of Gideon was unique, and I'm going to close with this because we won't have we won't be able to go any further, but um, it's important for us to see how Gideon handled this one. Now he handled the second one. I'll go ahead and show tell you. He handled the second one entirely different than this one. This one he handled by uh just putting using scripture because he felt like he uh he needed to do this and using uh, a teaching from Proverbs uh, uh, about you know uh, winning more friends with uh, honey than vinegar sort of speaking you see the unity of God's people it was more important than his personal pride was there and he knew that he shouldn't take his eyes off the enemy and if he was sidetracked in taking it personal in the sense that it's so easy for us to do, I do it, I've done it, and others I know have too, other leaders, then it becomes a, an attack there on that person. And it's, it's not. It's, you, you need to see it for what it is. And so Gideon uh, you know, talked about how wonderful they were in, in uh, stopping the enemy there. And they did a lot better job than Gideon. Well, that, that wasn't, uh, you know, gr- our greater victory. And that wasn't necessarily all true because that was a great victory that Gideon had. But God led him, I believe, in doing this to cause him to not go any further with the complaining. And they didn't have anything else to say. I mean... I think it's the same thing when, yes, we can learn from complaints and we can learn from, you know, critiques and all of this. But so, a lot of times, so much of it is just constant from certain ones. If we would just learn to override that with positive, What God's doing and over and I'm talking to me too and and override it with a you know thank you Lord for you know bringing this up and and all of this and uh, you know but I want I also want to share with you what God is doing because he is doing something I think churches if they could learn that we could probably move forward a lot quicker and see victory a lot more instead of seeing defeat by disunity right i've heard of so many churches and the same thing happens and satan works people he'll use me if i let him he'll use you if he if you let him and the sad thing about this a lot of times we don't see that happening in the midst. This is why Paul speaks so much about it in 2 Corinthians. We need to be on guard. Because that warfare is going on. Now, the second attack was different. The second attack, he he made an example of those people. And he dealt with them. Just like with Ananias and Sapphira. Certain things you can deal with. With honey instead of vinegar. But certain things you need to deal with. And you need to deal with it firmly. And he did there. <clears throat> with, when he got to Succoth and Penuel. He dealt with those differently. Because why? Because they deliberately chose not to help Gideon. Not to to, uh, to feed the uh, the, uh, the troops and and not to give them anything refreshing, why? Because they were more concerned about that three hundred army that he had being defeated, and then the, uh, the enemy coming back and maybe taking it out on them, and so they were willing to compromise. they were willing to say hey i 'm not going to do it, and so in turn they went against God and taking care of God's messengers and his men and so that was a no-no for them and so Gideon had to deal with that in a forceful way as an example so there's two different ways Ananias and Sapphira they were within the church if that had continued then what would have happened that kind of attitude and that kind of corruption would have spread more rapidly. And so God made an example there. So we need to realize that we are in a battle. The battle is going on. And it's as Paul says over and over again, Satan will get our eyes off of the true battle and onto the flesh. And he says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, though, do we? It's against Satan. He has a scheme. And his scheme is to defeat the church in whatever way he can. Using whomever he can. That's why we need to be very careful. Let's pray that we will stay on our knees moving forward, realizing that Satan is at work. And that we'll do everything we can to keep that unity and our vision in focus for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. and. Thank